My name is Mark Madison, and I am so very proud to have Fujitsu General America as a sponsor. At Fujitsu, they're focused on partnering with the best distributors and contractors to ensure that each Fujitsu heating and cooling system brings infinite comfort to every end user. Good afternoon, Mark Madison here on Books and People. Today, we've got Jason Weiler back, the busiest dude I know in Mechanicsburg, PA, but uh, Jason, how are you? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you doing today? If I was doing any better, I'd be twins. I've yeah. heard you say that before, and it's so true. <laughs> I'm so old, I remember when the Dead Sea was sick. <laughs> My friend Doug out Doug was 92. I said, Doug, how are you? He said, I'm sold. I don't even buy green bananas anymore. I mean, did you say his name is Doug out Doug? That was his nickname, Doug out Doug. He was a big baseball fan. That's fantastic. Sounds like a movie character. Well, he did vaudeville and he wore a beret and he was like five foot nothing and about 90 pounds. And he was wow. a character. He was so funny. And I remember thinking, that's how I want to be when I grow up. Like exactly. Doug. I've known, yeah, I've known people like that. They maintain their their vibrance and their vitality even as they age, uh, and that's exactly what I want to be. I don't want to be someone just sitting and spending my time in the lazy boy watching television. You know, it's uh, right. there's always new things to do, new things to explore, uh, and you know, I think we're doing that. And I encourage all of the listeners to come along with us on that journey. Well, our mutual friend, the late great Charlie Jones, was certainly a shining example of that. He really was right up until the very end, constantly doing new things, accomplishing new things. Uh, and I, he's just a model of, of any type of productive humanity. And that's, I think, what we should all aspire to. Well, it's, you know, we've gone through some challenging times here over the last year. Uh, I don't think that needs to be said. We're all aware of it. And if you're listening to this in the far future, we are in March 2021, uh, finally rounding the corner of the COVID-19 pandemic. And Mark, I'm curious, how has that affected your business as a primarily a public speaker with everything shutting down? How have you seen the COVID-19 pandemic and all of its attendant restrictions affect what you do? Well, a year ago at this time, I, I literally was in New Jersey on what was to be my last trip for six months. And I was at the New Jersey Institute of Technology speaking, and I was working with a client. And you know, and then the, then the shade was drawn, if you will. And I had 15 speaking engagements all get pushed out to 2021 and a whole bunch of people just, you know, put things on hold. And so for about a week, probably four or five days, first I was, I went through the five stages of grief, shock, denial, anger, bargaining, acceptance. And I did it pretty quickly because, you know, I'm self-employed when I call in sick, I know I'm lying. Right. And so uh, I just, I asked myself, well, first of all, I thought I'm going to feel really bad for a couple of days. And so I had a pity party with balloons and cake, right? I did it right. And then I said, okay, what can I do? What's out of my control? And so I, I did what I always do. I go back to my library and I went through my library and I pulled Dale Carnegie's How to Stop Worrying and Start Living off the shelf. And I devoured it. It was probably the third or fourth time I'd read it, but this time I read it with a new perspective. And I got some ideas from that book, which if you've never read it, it was written in 1947. And I think it's better than How to Win Friends because 
he, he really deals with the, the mental side of, uh, you know, the thought process. And so I, I, I grabbed my journal and I wrote a line down the center. And I said, what can I do and what's out of my control? And then I turned on my brain and I started thinking. And the things I wrote down were write like crazy. So I started writing like crazy. I wrote three eBooks in the span of about two months. And then uh, one was working from home. 101, right? I said, I've been working from home for 21 years. What is the marketplace looking for? Uh, and then I started uh, asking myself, what, what do and what will my customers need? Uh, and, the, and the answers was, was clearly, you know, Zoom and GoTo meetings and Microsoft Teams. It was ironic because Zoom took off and it became, you know, kind of the gold standard. And Microsoft Teams, I guess, early on was horrible. They've, they've changed and improved it, obviously, since then. So, so I taught myself all of those, those three platforms, and I did a ton of them. I, I contacted people, and I said, I just want to practice. I just want to learn this medium. And so I did that almost every day. And then I started reaching out to clients and saying, hey, I'm still speaking. I'm just doing it from this new platform. And so I made a list of uh, content and topics. And I started, I just did what I've always done. I've just started selling and marketing. And I sent out 10 emails a day and abracadabra. I remember one day I closed three virtual uh, webinars. And I, I literally just got done doing, I was scrambling to, to get here on time because I did a one hour keynote to a group of contractors in Illinois. I was the closing speaker for this event. I did two last week. So, uh, I shifted gears. The other thing, Jason, and you know this, I, I focused on uh, selling and marketing my books more aggressively. And then I had a, you know, a windfall in, in November. I sold 9,000 copies of It's About Time. And so, uh, you know, it's not what happens, it's how we respond. And so that's what I did. And of course, now I'm, I'm so busy this, let's see, tomorrow I go to South Carolina. And then next week for the entire week, I'm in Arizona. So I can feel sorry for myself or I can uh, shift gears and ask myself, what can I do? What's out of my control? Exactly. Yeah. I, I had a similar situation myself. You know, I work primarily with authors to help them produce books and I had a couple of big deals lined up and then COVID hit and it was just like you, the blinds came down and the author said, you know, I don't think this is the best time for me to be spending this money. And how could I argue with them? I would have felt the same way. And it really made me realize a couple of things. One was that I was too reliant on one thing. Uh, helping authors produce books is great until something happens to the economy. Uh, and then if they have to pull back, if they, have, if they have issues of their own, even if it isn't the economy, maybe they just have some pers personal reason why they can't spend that money right there. Uh, I've kind of become a, a bit too focused on that one issue. And if something happens, I've got a problem. And the other thing is that when things are going well, and they had been up to that point, you, you become somewhat complacent. You don't have to develop these other potential lines of income that you could be using. Right. And you, you, you described that yourself. So then I had to take stop and take stock of what I had, what I could do, the different things I could do, uh, seminars I could run, promoting books that I have an interest in, uh, where, where I have some sort of remuneration involved in the sale of them. So these are things that I had to go back and look at and strengthen. 
And because I went through that, now I've got things that are a little stronger and a little better, and I'm going to be able to better weather the next storm when it inevitably comes. And I still have a long way to go in that. But uh, and, and I, I know how you felt when those things happened because it happened very suddenly. Right. The, you know, these these business these these things that I had lined up, sure things, quite a bit of money, instantly gone. And then I had to stop and say, well, now what am I going to do? Because something that a lot of people who don't who are not self-employed, I don't think fully realizes when you're self-employed, there's no such thing as a steady paycheck. Right. Uh, everything is, is constantly in flux and you have to work every day to keep the money coming in just to keep food on the table. It's a challenge. Uh, so, you know, it, I, I'm not going to lie and say it was fun to go through it, but it was certainly instructive. Uh, I think that, that I'm going to be better off at the end of this, and I think you will too. And I hope that that all of our listeners are as well. Uh, well, longer and, and, legs for bigger strides, Jason. That's what we get when and what, exactly exactly about who we are. Mm -hmm. Hit with adversity. The irony in that is that the the people who said to you, uh, "Well, I think this isn't a good time to write the book." That's exactly when they needed to write the book. It, yes, yes, because they have their they have the time. Right. <laughs> It's ironic yeah. that they did literally the wrong thing. When you think about uh, the books that came out during the Depression from 1934 to 1939, those were some of the most inspirational and life-changing books, Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends, Acres of Diamonds. Those are phenomenal books. And they, they came out of the worst time, well, <laughs> the second worst time in this country's history. And that, that's right. But it also reveals to each of us really who we are. And uh, I replace the fear with faith and I replace the fear with action. And, you know, I, I, I shifted gears. And, but it also, huh, to you, and you mentioned it to your point, the, the business model that we have may have been good during a time of abundance, but during a recession, which in this country happens every seven to 11 years, but this one was unplanned. You know, this one was came out of left field, right? Right. So I believe when uh, when the tide comes back in, and it's already starting to now, all the boats in the harbor are going to rise. But the question is, taking a look at your business model or your business in general. I mean, if you were in the dry cleaning business, the airline business, the restaurant business, right? Those businesses went, uh, you know, dark overnight. I mean, literally, people were laid off, and there. And I'm getting on a plane tomorrow, and it's only going to be half full. And that's, you know, by design, obviously. But um, we survive in challenging times by being flexible, by shifting gears, by asking ourselves, "What can we do? What's out of our control?" That's exactly right, and I think that the. You know, certainly here in the United States, we, we often consider it to be part of our national character to be flexible, to be nimble, to be innovative, to do new things when the old things no longer work out. And, you know, I think we've seen over the past year, some people were able to embrace that and work with it and adapt. And a lot of other people just kind of got stuck where they were. So, you know, I would ask everybody to really think about this, the experience you've been through and the experience yet to come how you can create a more stable and, and flexible and adaptable uh, environment for yourself and potential income for yourself. Yeah, so, one of my speaker friends took a job at, at a university as a professor, as an adjunct professor, right? He shifted gears. And this is a TED Talk guy, right? 
so I mean, he, everybody had, everybody's affected. One of the things I did notice though, there was like five, there's like five stages of understanding Zoom, right? <laughs> yes. Stage number one is, uh, oh, I thought I was skinnier than this. Look at my hair. And people are using Zoom as a mirror to like, you know, check their look, right? And, and uh, it, it's, it's a little unsettling at first. It's like, dude, it's not a mirror. You're not, it's not a vanity in your bathroom. This is a public forum. So, and, and number two, you better understand mute before you go to the restroom or do something embarrassing, right? Oh, yeah. I was in a Zoom seminar and a woman was not fully clothed and you just go, oh boy, you know, she, she didn't realize that the camera was on. So we need to be mindful. That's number one. Number two is you need to understand the technology of it. How does chat work? How does uh, reactions work? Are you recording it or not? You know, what about participants? What about mute? When to mute? When not to mute? When to stop video? When to start video? Uh, the third level is actually this is kind of fun. Uh, I'm enjoying this. I could get used to this. This is the new normal. And number four is you become fluent in it. And you're going, this is a hoot. I'm getting so much work done. I can't believe I ever left the office. And then level five is your hosting meetings, right? You're running them, you're sending out invitations and you're the, you're the man or woman, right? Running the show. And those are the, I think those are, the, at least that's what I observed, the five stages of, of, of this new vir virtual community that we've created here. Yeah, I think that's right on. And, you know, you're bringing a perspective to it as a professional speaker, someone who, again, had to adapt from what you were used to and what you had mastered to something brand new. In a sense, it's almost like a silent performer moving into the talkies, right? It's a, it's a, it's a different skill set in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because you don't have that instant audience feedback. You can't look out across the audience and see who's into it and who isn't the way that you're used to doing when you're actually on the platform. It's a little different on, on screen. And, you know, you have to deal with things like chat lag and, and you don't really know what's going on on the other end. You just, you, you guess as, as best as you can. Uh, but, you know, and, and the, one other thing I learned to sort of uh, abut what you just said is, you know, you always want to prepare a little bit ahead of time, fix your hair ahead of time. If you're a man, shave again, if it's late in the day, yeah. go to the bathroom before you start the meeting, Right. So have you ready to go. And uh and, and then be prepared with some notes, know what you're talking about. And this is very important. Think about not just your background, because I know people create these virtual backgrounds and such, but is, is everything in shape behind you? I, I watched someone do a talk and it was really good, but the problem was there was a pile of dirty laundry on the floor behind him completely within range of the camera. Throughout the whole talk, I was looking at the pile of dirty laundry. Right. Uh, so, you know, these are, the, these are the little extra things you have to worry about. You're not at doing a talk at the convention center or the Hilton where you have people you can lean on a little bit to make sure these things are taken care of. You've got to do it yourself. Well, and you're exactly right. And the, the, I did a virtual keynote just before this session and um, I set up the lighting I bought one of those round lights that that goes up or down based on how much light you want. And yes. I have uh, I have it set up so books are behind me, not just my books, but my one of my larger bookshelves. And then uh, I, I checked my outfit. We did a sound and video check beforehand. I played with the lighting. She goes, oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Oh, one more. Yeah, right there. And she goes, wow, that's a great background. You know, you've really got this thing down. I said, yeah, I've done hundreds of them now. So uh, I better be, I better be good at it. 
right? But it's it's doing just a little bit of preparation. I had my set list all ready to go. I timed it out perfectly. I, you know, when I got done, I still had five minutes for a Q&A. And so I'm still doing the same thing. I'm just, it was Marshall McLuhan, I think, that said it's the medium, not the message. Yes. Right? So I've adapted to this new medium. And so how does that affect somebody who wants to be a writer? I mean, my goodness, we talked about it a minute ago, but isn't this just the perfect time to write a book? It really is. There's, you know, we're still, uh, people still have a fair amount more downtime than they used to. This is exactly the time to be writing. And really, we're, we're coming at it late now. The time to start was a while ago. And I know one phenomenon that I've read about many times as we've gone through this is when people realized that they were going to be under quarantine, that they were going to be sitting at home, spending lots of time with only whatever is within their four walls to keep them busy, they set out great goals for themselves. I'm going to write that book. I'm going to get myself into shape. I'm finally going to you know, build that bookcase that I've had planned for years and several months later, they realized they had done none of those things. Right. And instead, they sat in, and they streamed TV shows and, and they took naps and, uh, you know, nothing against those things, but they, they didn't accomplish the things that they had set out to accomplish. And they didn't realize it until far too late. <laughs> they had let that time go by. So, but the thing is, you always have time to do those things. It comes down to a value question. Would you rather stream Game of Thrones or would you rather create a, a book? I, I had uh, my daughter badly wants me to play a video game. And this is one of these video games that takes approximately 20 to 40 hours to play. And the video game looks fantastic. I would love to play that game. But I said to her, look, I could spend 40 hours playing that video game or I could spend 40 hours writing a book. And I'm going to spend the 40 hours writing a book. It's, it just makes all the sense in the world to me to create something that will last, that can generate potential income that's going to make me and hopefully other people a better person. And the time is there if you want it to be. It's just a question of what you're going to do. Yeah, you're but, uh, Exactly, it's a matter of priorities and maybe playing the video game is more fun initially. But when I get writing and I'm on a roll, it's almost like a runner's high and it's the best feeling that you can ever have. And I know that's not unique to me because I've talked to plenty of other people who feel the same way. There's nothing like watching your creation manifest itself right before your eyes, but you have to take that first step and really get to work to make it happen. And, uh, and then to get back into the speaking a little bit, uh, you know, any writer who really wants to be successful needs to also find an outlet for speaking. It can be seminars. It can be uh, anything that, that the book supports and that also supports the book. And so you've got a, poss a potential there to also really master the same technologies that you're mastering as a virtual speaker. Uh, book tours, when you're doing them live, are, it's difficult to make them profitable because you have to do things like pay for lodging and travel. And the books that you sell oftentimes don't even allow you to break even when you're doing that. It's just a simple fact of life. But if you're doing them virtually, guess what? It costs virtually nothing. And all the books that you sell are, are pure profit. So it's, it's absolutely skills worth mastering. In a sense, we should be thankful to the pandemic for giving us an opportunity to do this and a reason to do it. Uh, and well, that's exact, I agree with that 100%, Jason, because I started out a meeting uh, last week with a large manufacturer who's having me be kind of the face of their, of their product. And I, I asked the other presenters before we started, I said, what have been some of the blessings that have come out of COVID for you? It was interesting. Three out of the four uh, men said uh, family, 
and time time with loved ones that I simply wasn't, uh, you know, investing in previously. And when we got done, the client said, well, listen, for everybody that, that logged on today, I'd like to be able to send them a book. Mark, can you ship 100 copies of Freedom From Fear to me to make sure everybody gets a copy? I said, of course. And so in a very real sense now, and I just closed another deal this morning uh, with, with a contractor in California. and. And I said, well, let's throw some books in that equation as well. And so for me as a speaker, I offer what I affectionately call a choice of yeses. And one of the choices is with or without books, right? And then it's duration. So there's always two or three options, but one or two of the options are always with books. And it's amazing. Uh, what I found anyway, is that if the first option is the most expensive one, but it also has the most value, i.e. the books as well. When they, when in descending order, as they look at option two and option three, you, the price point is less. But when they look at uh, how many things aren't included in the other two ideas, the other two choices, they go, oh, well, uh, but I want all those other things in that first option. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget this, Jason, true story, every word. The gentleman's name was Cal. He's retired now, so I can use his name. <laughs> he he heard me speak a couple, three times and he said, look, I think I want you to do sales training for all our dealers. And I want you to come out here once a month for six months. So I put three options together for him. And the first one was a pretty, pretty big number. And I, back then I called it gold, silver, bronze. So he said, man, I love this gold option. I said, I thought you might. He said, but I really <laughs> like the silver price. I said, well, then silver it is. He said, no, no, you don't understand. I want this, I want the gold option, but for the silver price. I said, I heard what you said. I said, I want Uma Thurman to stalk me, but that's probably not going to happen. So <laughs> silver. he said, you're not going to budge, are you? I said, no, that's why I gave you three options. He goes, fine, we'll go with the gold. I said, good, good choice. I said, did you want to use your credit card or would a check be better? He goes, man, you're good. I said, I know that's why you're hiring me. So you're your contractors can sell more boxes, right? That's exactly right. And so when you offer a choice like that, and I think that's the piece that's missing. And to go to circle back to what you said, what are you doing differently? I'm bundling value together now in ways I didn't before. I'm literally using follow-up Zoom webinars to support the live work we're doing and the books that I'm selling. And so when you bundle value together like that, you make the pot really sweet and they, they don't want to give up all that value. So that's what I've been doing. And I think it's, uh, it's been fun and effective. And uh, I mean, I mean, I can't wait to hop on a plane tomorrow and go to South Carolina, uh, mostly because I could say might could and a fiction to, you know, I like saying that in the Southern accent. You say things like might could. Yeah. Well, with an accent like that, you're going to fit right in. Well, I reckon, I reckon so. Yep. <laughs> And you, you taught an important sales lesson there too, when he was waffling between the two packages, right. you handled, handled it with humor and you probably made him laugh and you know, I, when you make him laugh, you've got him. And, yeah. and you were, you remained great friends. There was probably no resentment on his part that he felt like you had forced him to do it because he didn't really. And it was a choice. There you go. There you go. You, it was his choice. He made it and it was funny and it worked out beautifully for everybody. I call it a choice of yeses. Which yes would you like? Here's how I discovered that, Jason, of mostly because I married up. 
I had been in Dallas working with a contractor and, and I came home, I'd been gone like two, three days. And my wife, this is in the early days of speaking. So this is over 20 years ago. And my wife picked me up at the airport and she said, well, I could drive home and I could make dinner, but then I really wouldn't get to hear all about your trip. So I was just wondering, would you like to go to a Mexican restaurant or would Italian be better? <laughs> it wasn't until I was dipping my bread in the olive oil, I realized what she'd done to me. She went right past if to where. And right. I didn't notice, and I teach this stuff. She's yep. so she's a smooth criminal, my wife. You always have to have your antennae up because those lessons are all around you all the time. And, and sometimes you don't even notice them. So you have to work to see them when they happen. That and was me. You I can teach other problems. people. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, I'm curious. Lots of people want to be public speakers and they, they aspire to and they work toward it and they, they kind of put pieces in place so that they can get to the, get there. What do you think is the, the biggest mistake that someone makes that sabotages a long-term speaking career? Is there, is there any common denominator? Is there any one common thing that you see people constantly doing that causes trouble in the long, for the long run? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think thinking about the fourth sale first and they don't do it. And what I mean by that is you want to think of this client as a lifetime client that you want to think about the fourth or fifth time that they hire you, not this first time. So whatever you have to do to make it easy for them to say yes, you want to get the gig so you can demonstrate your competency and your value. And then after that, it's keep strict accounts and stay in touch. You know, I have an electronic newsletter that goes out to 7,000 people. That's mostly just a marketing. It's value. It's, as you know, I put a lot into it, but it's about uh, keeping my name in front of people. Even if they don't read the easing, they see my email every month. So, so thinking about the long-term aspect of the business, the fourth sale first, and, uh, and know that if you do a good job and you, you have a combination of platform skills and content, you, you have to have both as a speaker. You have to give information that improves their condition in some way. Their close rate goes up, their retention uh, increases, their churn decreases. So it has to affect their bottom line in some way, number one. And number two, you, you have to be mindful on and off the court, okay? And what I mean by that is you can't be a superstar on the stage and a jerk off it. I had a Oh, I had a client tell me a story about a very well-known speaker, and I'm not going to use his name, but he um, he did a great job there. They'd hired him four or five times, but this one time was in Napa, and the, the story was told to me while we were at this winery in Napa, and he said, this guy got drunk, and he said and did some things that were offensive, and he said, we'll never hire that guy again, and I think, and I don't drink, but that's, you know, that's a personal choice, but uh, and for good reason, but you have to be trustworthy on and off the stage. And so, you know, three, three things, number one, um, do, you know, do a great job and establish the value and then stay in touch, keep strict accounts and stay in touch. And then number three, you know, be, have character, uh, on and off the stage. I think if you do those three things, and I guess the last thing I would add is just keep learning. I, I'm still studying TED Talks and YouTube videos, and uh, I study other speakers. I'm constantly, I've, I've, I've added two or three new signature stories 
I told one of them to end my session today and it was a, it was a home run. And it was a story I'd read in a book uh, that, you know, not many people have heard. So yeah, that's, that's my advice. And I'm wondering if we're running out of time, how are we doing on time, Jason? <laughs> um, well, I suppose we should just keep going as if we're doing okay on time. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because normally we get a little prompt, but I'm not seeing that right now. So very good. Uh, do you have any other questions for me? Well, actually, I was going to uh, elaborate on something that you just said. And that is that, you know, I think that as speakers and authors, sometimes we have a tendency to maybe either get a little jealous of other people in our field or, or feel as if we could never be as good as they are. Uh, you know, as a, as a writer, you read a book and you say, I can never write that well. It's just, it's beyond my capabilities. Right. And anytime you feel that way, I think what you really need to do is drill down on what it is about it that makes you feel that way. Like you said, you're constantly watching other people. You're watching TED Talks. And I'm sure from time to time you see somebody and say, oh, that's just phenomenal. You know, I, it's, I would love to be able to speak as well as he does. Uh, so, but why does he speak that well? Watch it. Ask yourself the questions. What is that speaker doing that makes the presentation so great? What is it about it? What is it in the presentation? What is it in the cadence of his voice, the tone of his voice, uh, the way he presents things, this word choice, his rhythm? Uh, you know, it's, it's whatever it is. It's not magic. It can be duplicated, but you have to study it and figure it out. And it's the same thing with books. Everything that's being, doing there, that's being done there is a skill that can be duplicated. You can do it. You just have to figure out how it's being done. And for lack of a better word, copy it. And when you do that, you're going to bring your own, your own spin to it. You're going to do it your own way, but you're going to do it with the extra skills that you've picked up from this other person that has impressed you so much. I call that the causes of success. You know, what are the three things in basketball, it's defense, free throws and rebounds. Whoever does a better job of that's going to win the final four in the championship game in a couple in a month. Uh, you know, it's, it's platform skills, content, and interaction. You know, it's, it's, it's using the right kind of humor when you present. When I started going out into the audience, uh, everything changed. When I started moving back and forth on the stage, everything changed. When I started asking for volunteers and I would simply hand them a copy of one of my books, I was able to promote my book without it coming across like a commercial. Mm -hmm. uh, basically I said, you know, Everything you want is just outside your comfort zone. I said, now I need a volunteer to come up on the stage and help me with this next thing. And there's this dead silence for like 30 seconds. And I said, some of you are looking at your shoes with your head down going, I hope he doesn't call on me. If I don't make eye contact, he won't see me. I, I said, I see all of you, but I still need a volunteer. And sure enough, one intrepid soul jumps up, comes up on the stage. And I said, look, uh, what's your name? And I shake his hand. I said, thank you for volunteering. I just want to give you this book for volunteering. That's it. I said, uh, I think you'll like it. And I, he said, thanks a lot. And he leaves. And, and then I turned to the audience and said, now, those of you are going, dang it, I wish I'd have volunteered. I said, fear not. I said, I brought a few extra copies. I'll be over to the left stage left here afterwards, if you're still interested. And then I go back to my presentation. Now, that was an ad for my book, but it didn't come across as smarmy or manipulative it's just a, a simple way to let the audience know that you have a book for sale. 
Exactly. Yeah. All you have to do is call attention to it. And if you do your job as a speaker, everything else falls into place. Right. Uh, you can, and, you know, nobody likes to be sold. But if you if you do it right, they will gleefully line up and buy that book. And, well, Charlie, Charlie hooked me up with a gig in uh, in Plymouth, Pennsylvania, King of Prussia. Right. 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 In that area, twenty five hundred people. And I spoke for an hour and then there was a line when I got done speaking that was probably a hundred plus people long. And I sold, I think, eight thousand dollars worth of books that day. I sold everything I brought and then I started having them fill out forms. And there was the guy that spoke directly after me. Uh, there was no line at his table. And he kept looking over at my table like, can you send something over to me? Well, he'd already spoken and evidently he didn't register he didn't resonate with the audience they weren't buying his book i felt bad for the guy but then i realized i worked really hard for a long time i read hundreds of books i studied you know dozens of speakers and i set very specific speaking goals uh, not just the financial side of it but the platform skill side right and affirm those affirmations you know thousands of times so I earn my place at the table and, you know, things don't happen. They have things don't just happen. They happen just if you do a great job presenting, then they'll come to your table. It's in a way it's a, what I, I got a lot of standing ovations over the years, but I don't care about standing ovations. I care about standing invitations. I want somebody to walk up to that book counter and say, here's my card, I want you to speak at our annual meeting. And then I hand them a form and say, just fill this out. <laughs> you know, I got to the point where I, I was anticipating that request and said, here, just fill this out. It's got all your credit card information. I'll run your card and we'll get this thing booked. Right, you're prepared. Yeah, I always tell my authors and who are also speakers as they ought to be, that if you do your job as a speaker, you should be selling a book to every person in that room. Yeah. And. You know, that's really, and you know that because you've been in that situation, you've seen that where they, they rush up and they, they can't buy that book quickly enough. Uh, and that all comes down to mastering the platform skill and learning how to integrate it with, with your books. Right. And the thing is, once you get good at this, it's so much fun. And, and now, as it turns out, those platform skills in a live event are transferable to the virtual medium. So we've just got a couple of minutes. Uh, any closing thoughts, Jason? Well, I just want to say that uh, further to what we were talking about, if you've never spoken, go do it because it's, I know it's scary the first time, but as soon as you get up there and as soon as you start rolling, that fear will disappear and it will be the most fun you've ever had. I had a client ask me once, do you get butterflies still? I said, yeah, but I just taught them how to fly in formation. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, and the reality is now I don't. And I, because I still prepare, I still prepare like crazy. And uh, you know, it's two, three, four hours for every one hour I speak. I prepare three or four hours, five hours even, uh, mm -hmm. making sure go, going back over my set list and going back over thinking about, you know, how I can tailor what I'm doing to this particular audience. And uh, yeah, I just never stop improving, you know, I, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave with this thought. The worst thing someone could say to me was, uh, you know, I, I heard you five years ago when you were really something. That would be a nightmare for me. What I want him to say is, I heard you five years ago 
but man, have you improved. I can't believe Absolutely. how better you are. Absolutely. And to me, that's what I aspire to. All right. Well, it was great speaking with you today. Thanks, Jason. Always a pleasure, my friend. And make it a great day unless you have other plans. Will do. This podcast is brought to you by the team at Fujitsu General America. And like this podcast, they're focused on education and development. From the day they sold their first comfort system in North America, they've been unwavering in their focus on training. It doesn't matter if it's application, installation, or service. A better trained technician brings better value to the homeowner. So when you're looking for infinite comfort, think Fujitsu. Thank you for listening. If I struck a chord, inspire you to action, or piqued your curiosity, let me know. Call or text me at 206-697-0454, or send me an email at mark at sparkingsuccess.net. Should you wish to hire me to speak to your organization or association, or order one of my books, simply go to my website, www.sparkingsuccess.net. And remember, make it a great day. You have other plans.